Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Millennium Live. My name is Katie Perry, and today I'm joined with Mike Wilkes, who's the CISO at Security Scorecard. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Thank you, Katie. I'm happy to be here and share a couple of stories and uh, answer a few questions. Uh, but uh, perhaps first I should mention something about Security Scorecard. Yeah, absolutely. If you could give us a brief background on Security Scorecard for anyone who's listening or watching who may not know about you. Yeah, um, Security Scorecard's company that I was actually following since 2015. It's a uh, eight-year-old startup and it's in the business of uh, doing cybersecurity ratings. So uh, you can imagine uh, letter grades A through F. And so uh, the company has built uh, an engine that scores uh, companies uh, based on their visible, um, publicly accessible uh, endpoints. And so we can actually correlate uh, the likelihood of a breach uh, as being six times more likely with somebody with a C grade or lower versus somebody who has an A. And so we basically use the platform to help people in a proactive way, uh, show them what their vulnerabilities are that are internet facing and uh, to help make the world a safer place. That's, that's our mission. CISA recently announced a new strategic venture on systemic cyber risk reduction and the emergence of cybersecurity ratings as an important risk qualification. So why are security risks so important? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, and it was really quite um, you know, monumental for, for CISA, uh, the Critical Infrastructure and Security Agency, to uh, work on uh, calling out uh, systemic risk and ways to reduce it and the importance of cybersecurity ratings. I think that ratings are necessary, but I don't think they're sufficient. Uh, they're a necessary tool in the arsenal of security teams so that we can measure and validate those external signs of risk. Uh, it uses something called OSINT, uh, Open Source Intelligence, and it provides troves and troves of valuable data that the bad actors are using to plan their attacks. So it only makes sense uh, that we too make use of that same data to understand our risk posture and to those of our, our third parties, our vendors and our providers and service providers. So uh, discovery, for example, of, of rogue IT or forgotten infrastructure that somebody provisioned uh, is something that we've automated because we're scanning the internet every month. Uh, in some network segments, we actually scan every day because they're changing so frequently like cloud service providers. Um, but we combine that with continuous monitoring of your security rating and for those of your third parties and vendors. Uh, and we are able to create event-based assessments. And it's a very powerful automation and combination. Uh, a score drop, for example, from a B to a C uh, or a breach report uh, that reaches us through our, our um, data feeds. These are event-based assessments. It's a really great way to uh, automate uh, monitoring thousands of vendors potentially and not having to scale up your team uh, linearly to do that. And I think there's a couple of different kinds of risk that CISA is talking about. When they talk about systemic risk, I think there's a, a risk that comes from things that we don't really talk about, uh, sort of things that are embedded in the system. Uh, and there's a complexity element to it as well. So we as managers, we have to execute a plan. And as leaders, we have to manage scarcity. But as executives, we have to really manage ambiguity. And I think here, you know, how do we address the uncertainty of uh, increasingly complex systems that we're building on the internet uh, if we don't really fully understand them? 
Lastly, I'd like to mention um, something I think that is actually missing from the discussion of risk, uh, which I'm referring to as cognitive risk. Uh, a good definition of cognitive risk might be the knowledge, beliefs, and values, uh, and intentions of all the people and groups uh, that are attacking and defending uh, infrastructure. And so I think we have a lot of habits uh, that sort of preclude us from thinking about some of these things. And uh, so it's important, I think, to focus on identifying risks and being able to speak to systemic risk and to address that as well, and not just cyber risk um, or physical risk to infrastructure. So I know 2020 was a crazy year for almost everyone and everyone in the cyber world as well. They really delivered some powerful examples of cybersecurity risks in 2020. So what can we learn from them to reduce these risks really moving forward into 2021 and maybe even further on? Yeah, I think the uh, the SolarWinds supply chain attack is essentially a gift that's going to keep on giving for months, if not for years. And I mean that a bit tongue in cheek, of course. Uh, the most direct lessons you know, to be learned from the SolarWinds supply chain attack was uh, that there's no risk like third party risk. Uh, the Russian group, identified as APT29, they probably didn't even have enough people to capitalize on the fact that they had breached 18,000 or more companies uh, with the hack and having the SolarWinds software distributing a backdoor for, the, for them. So I can imagine they actually needed to farm it out uh, to other groups <clears throat> so that they could focus on some of the favorites, you know, the cherry picking, you know, which of the compromised organizations and government agencies like the Department of Commerce and Department of Energy uh, that they had um, compromised, just to name a few. Um, we'd all like to think that better security hygiene uh, by SolarWinds might have avoided this event, but that's really wishful thinking. Any organization will fall to an attack given sufficient time and resources from, a, from an adversary. So it's not really if, uh, but when. And the real failure sits in, in how we respond. Uh, FireEye, for example, deserves our thanks for essentially shooting the hostage uh, with something you know, kind of akin to what might have happened in an episode of the TV show 24 with Jack Bauer. Uh, they gave up the fact uh, of the theft of their red team tools and they published details on the SolarWinds attack uh, with very admirable speed, transparency, and responsibility. So in sharing that information, they basically robbed the bad actors of much of the value of the assets that they had stolen, uh, the red team tools. So I think it's up to us now to make sure that we address the fundamentals of InfoSec with diligence and conviction and humility. How many of the impacted companies and government agencies didn't even have log files available to confirm or deny that they had been compromised? These are some of the basics that have to be there. Observability is a central tenet to the implementation of zero trust architectures, for example. Uh, but we can't even get to that point uh, without good asset management, DNS monitoring, scanning of open source software and commercial packages uh, and the libraries that they run on. It's wild that it's a when, not an if. So I'm curious, what are the three things that most excite you about the cybersecurity industry? Yeah, I'd like to um, introduce a uh, ancient Greek uh, historian and philosopher to help answer that question. Uh, Heraclitus uh, was known for saying something along the lines of, you can never step into the same river twice. And by this, I believe that the world of cybersecurity and the technology around us is, is like a river, and it's constantly flowing and changing from moment to moment and from day to day. 
And I think Heraclitus also meant to convey that it's us that changes from day to day as well. So it's not only COVID-19 and lockdown and the pandemic that has changed us and our collective attack surface and vulnerabilities with regard to cybersecurity and risk. So for me, three things that excite me most about cybersecurity flow from that quote. Uh, one of them, uh, the ever-changing nature of threats. Uh, there's never a dull moment uh, as a security officer, uh, either watching a breach happening somewhere else uh, and learning about it uh, or you know, exploring new tools. Uh, there's so many different um, nature you know, threats that are evolving that you'll never be bored. Uh, number two, I think there's incredible rewards uh, for those um, that work in the field. Uh, and, uh, and you, you, you have to be curious. Um, I feel that's an important characteristic I look for when I'm hiring for my team. Um, and of course, hackers are not always all bad actors. Uh, some of us are just turning the doorknob to see if the door is locked and not to steal or destroy what sits on the other side of that door. So I think it's important to notice and, and make you know, um, an important point that not all hackers are, are bad people. Uh, and then number three, I think we need millions of new recruits to join the battle. Uh, who will bring with them new insights and innovations. I started teaching at NYU this uh, last year, and I really enjoy shaping the minds and the paths of the next generation of, of information security professionals. And I also want to help bring diversity into the teams of researchers, practitioners, leaders everywhere, because cybersecurity you know, should be a domain that values all kinds of people. What, in your opinion, are the five things that every company needs to know to tighten up its approach to data privacy and cybersecurity? That's a good uh, list. Uh, I have uh, my first on it is to get on the agenda for your next board of directors meeting. If you're a security leader and you haven't done a security, an external security assessment uh, in 2020, you know, you should make that your first next task because everyone's you know, risk profile has changed drastically this last year. And so there's no way it's remained the same. So get a fresh uh, assessment uh, and get on the agenda for the next board of directors meeting. You may actually have to get your agenda submitted, you know, end of February, mid-February, right about now, uh, to get into a March uh, board meeting, for example, because it takes time. Uh, number two, I think everyone should pick a framework against which you're going to measure your organization and its growth and its progression and maturity. Uh, take uh, NIST, uh, the cybersecurity framework, NIST CSF. Uh, if you don't want to think about it too much, you know, choose that one. It's a really great starter framework and it provides a bit of a roadmap as well as a checklist of areas in which you can build your program, your security program. Uh, number three, I think that there's a new kind of job description emerging uh, that might be called privacy engineering. And I believe that it's kind of at the intersection of application security, database engineering, and your legal team. Uh, GDPR, for example, you know, the, the European regulations about data privacy, it put this topic onto all of our you know, agendas uh, to make sure that we have privacy by design, uh, to make sure that we have minimization of, of information that's shared, and that we have well-architected well data flows and data management in order to make privacy possible. Uh, number four, when you discuss you know, the items on your risk register and, and make sure you spend some time discussing third-party risk, everyone has a non-trivial amount of vendor risk that needs to be measured and managed, just like SolarWinds uh, pointed out. And then uh, number five, I think that self-assessment of risk and exposure to security threats 
it really can't continue at this leisurely pace of, of sending out uh, annual questionnaires uh, and having people fill out these spreadsheets and send them back uh, and do this once a year for maybe your top you know, vendors. I think we need to have more frequent. And if we're going to have more frequent assessments, we're going to need to automate it. And so I think uh, that's one of the things we can do. We can send out hundreds of these potential questionnaires and find ways to you know, automate the collection of that information and uh, make sure, because the weakest link is the one that the bad actors are going to uh, attack, you have to know what your third party, your, your supply chain risk is. And that's one of the things that Security Scorecard helps people do uh, at scale. We have um, customers with thousands of, of vendors uh, in their portfolios that they're monitoring every day. Uh, like that river of risk uh, that Heraclitus was referring to, and uh, able to act on changes in that security posture uh, in, a, in an automated fashion and to maintain you know, good visibility and awareness. So Security Scorecard had a great 2020, and you were named a technology pioneer by the World Economic Forum in 2020. So what working groups have you been engaged with, and what reports can we expect to see coming out of all of these discussions? Yeah, thank you. Um, that was a great uh, um, uh, uh, tradition of technology pioneers. Other companies uh, that have been named by the, the WEF uh, are companies like Twitter and, and Google and uh, Airbnb and, and others. And so for us to be named one uh, means that for the next two years, we get to participate in the working groups. So I myself was working and am working on three different areas. Uh, one of them is a strategy and culture working group. Uh, kind of along the lines of what I mentioned before with uh, cognitive risk. Uh, we're working on publishing a set of principles uh, for corporate directors to follow regarding cyber risk and corporate governance and how to do that effectively and how to use that with continuous monitoring and uh, security ratings plays into that. Uh, the other working group is the supply chain working group, of course. And that's a natural fit for, for Security Scorecard because we built this entire platform to help understand you know, the supply chain. And we're working on developing a, a holistic risk governance approach to um, thinking about it. In particular, uh, this particular working group is tied into the oil and gas sector, uh, but really the governance and, and risk you know, advice uh, can be applied to any sector, um, uh, not just oil and gas. And then the third working group is a benchmarking working group. Uh, so how do we amplify and accelerate the adoption of some of the proven you know, cyber resilience um, techniques across the industry with modern frameworks and tools? Uh, again, with, uh, with an eye towards continuous monitoring and not just having you know, the uh, security assessments happen once per year, but to have um, event-based uh, assessments. So when there's a breach event, you know, you can automatically send a questionnaire to that vendor and not have to wait until the annual review comes around and then they answer the question, has there been a breach, you know, in the last 12 months? Uh, you can definitely get uh, a lot faster action out of that. And so you can expect to see some of the fruits of these collaborations with the, with the World Economic Forum to come out in April uh, with the publication of reports and guidance. Uh, which will cascade down, I think, to the National Association of um, Corporate Directors and, and other organizations throughout the world. Well, that is very excited, and April will be here before we know it. I can't wait to see what has come out of those discussions. So I don't want to keep you too long today, and I just have one final question for you. So do you have a story from your experience about a cybersecurity breach that you helped fix or stop that you can tell us? Yeah, there's one particular uh, <clears throat> story I like to tell. 
prior to my time at Security Scorecard, I ran uh, the InfoSec and Enterprise Architecture uh, at Marvel. And uh, I like to joke it was my job to keep Iron Man safe. And uh, during my first week on the job there, a hacker group known as Our Mine, they managed to post some messages on several Marvel Twitter accounts, including Daredevil, Black Panther, Captain America, and some Netflix accounts that we shared with them. It was a benign attack, and uh, they had just said, hey, it's Our Mine, and they offered to help you know, with security. Uh, namely, they were suggesting <clears throat> that we implement multi-factor authentication for Twitter accounts and Twitter teams. Uh, suffice it to say that a new policy for managing our thousands of superhero character social media accounts was drafted, reviewed, and approved in, in fairly short order in response to that breach. Um, but I had the huge responsibility you know, of keeping Iron Man safe while I was there. And I was the head of security you know, for the comic and, and movie uh, Juggernaut. And of course, if you saw the movie Endgame, um, you know that uh, what happened to poor Iron Man after I left Marvel. Um, but uh, the main takeaway is that you know, third-party risk is real. And uh, all we need to do is, is pay attention to it uh, and you know, try to automate it understand our vendor risk postures. Uh, and uh, that's why I think working at Security Scorecard is uh, a really great uh, and natural fit for me, given my longstanding belief uh, that managing vendor risk is a critical imperative for all businesses, regardless of their industry and uh, technical depth. Thank you, Mike. This was an awesome conversation. We hope to see you again in the future, both virtually and in person. Great. Thanks again. Don't forget to subscribe to Millennium Live, a Digital Diary podcast. All episodes are available on Digital Diary by going to mill-all.com.